You're listening to Universal Learning with me, Saj Mohammed. In this series, I'll be talking to professionals inside and outside education, as well as parents, carers, and learners themselves about their experiences of inclusive practice. I'm on a mission to discover as much as possible about inclusion because I've been a learning support practitioner for over six years and I've come to realize that many of the adjustments we make for students with additional needs could benefit all learners. For example, making things easy to read helps dyslexic students while using clear language can benefit autistic learners. So, shouldn't inclusive practice be part of our normal routine when planning teaching, learning and assessment? In an ideal world, I'd like educators to stop thinking about inclusive practices as another chore to be added to an ever-expanding workload. In actual fact, I believe that inclusive practice can ultimately make life easier by making learning more accessible for all of our students. This is the second episode in a two-part special on action research. As I mentioned in the last episode, action research is a term used to describe research that is done by practitioners themselves in the environments they work in. In other words, it isn't academics doing experiments in highly controlled environments. It's people like teachers and learning support practitioners trialing interventions in their own classrooms. I am a great advocate for action research as I believe it can greatly improve our practice, which results in better outcomes for students. In the previous episode, I talked to David Powell about action research in theory. But in this episode, I'm talking to Joe Fletcher-Saxon about action research in practice. Joe is assistant principal at Ashton Sixth Form College, and she's worked tirelessly over the last few years with Sam Jones of the Bedford College Group to promote action research in further education. We begin our conversation talking about the start of Joe's career. She's always been involved in education as she began as an early years practitioner. She then entered further education in her 20s to gain an access to HE qualification that led to her achieving her degree in women's studies. This lived experience of how FE can be transformational has led Joe to advocate for the sector. Jo then talks about how she began to promote action research in the college that she works in. She says that scholarship is a well-defined concept in higher education, but is not focused on as much in FE. Jo addressed this gap by organising an FE research meet at Ashton Sixth Form College, with lots of practitioners sharing their experiences of research. This helped to kickstart a culture more reflective practice at the college. The professional learning culture at Ashton is now also driven by curiosity. Rather than people selecting from a pre-selected menu of activities, teachers are asked about what they are curious about 
and this leads to a more personalised form of development. Joe then highlights the democratic nature of the movement to promote action research in FE and says that it is very much by FE and for FE. While research in schools and universities is well supported, FE has to catch up. However, with colleagues in the sector like Sam Jones, Joe has helped to form the Research Colleges Group to tackle this disparity. She then moves on to talking about how one member of staff at Ashton now spends some of their time promoting research as part of their job. Joe says that developments like this can help educators to become critical consumers of evidence-based practice. Joe also says that research can benefit students greatly, but also staff themselves. She says that her own sense of self and belief has flourished as a result, and she now wants to pay this back and support others. We then move on to talk about how there's more to quantifying impact than pie charts. And Joe says that the story of what happens during research is just as important. She says that small-scale qualitative research shouldn't be devalued, which echoes what David Powell said in the previous episode about how no research is too small to make a difference. We round off our conversation talking about some of the other activities that Joe is involved in, which include podcasting, radio hosting, running writing rooms online to help peers be more productive, and even shepherding sheep as a form of mindfulness. She also mentions how she's working with Mel Lenahan, who I spoke to in episode five, and Lou Mycroft, who I also spoke to in episode seven. Their initiative, Adult Conversations, is intended to spark a discussion around the renewal of adult education in the UK. Joe concludes our conversation with a message for senior leaders who may be sceptical about the importance of research in improving practice. She points out that the policies and guidance that they work under are inevitably shaped and informed by research. So it's already a part of the landscape, albeit one that needs to be brought more to light. In this two-part special on action research, there is a huge amount of insight and advice that should help you to get started. But if there's anything else that you want to know more about, I'm planning to answer questions from listeners about inclusion in an upcoming episode. So do feel free to get in touch with your questions via our website at universallearning.education. So this interview was recorded using Zoom and the quality is not always the best. However, you can read a transcript of this and every episode on our website, universallearning.education. We can also find links relating to each episode to help you discover how you can put inclusion into practice for all of your learners. It was fascinating to hear how Jo's experiences have shaped and informed her career as an educator and advocate for action research. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation.
My name is Jo Fletcher-Saxon. I'm an assistant principal for adult and higher education. Uh, um, that said, I'm based at Sixth Home College, so I also have responsibility for a portion of our 16 to 19-year-olds on vocational programmes. Now, in your, in your introduction, you've given, a, you've given a brief description of your, of your, of your job, but really, the, the, you know, um, you're involved in lots and lots of different things uh, in your career. So we're going to talk about that in a little bit more depth. But just to begin with, before you started working in education, um, what kind of things were you involved with? Before I started, there's not been a before because, um, well, when I left school, I trained to work in early years. So I've always been in, in, in one phase of education or another. Um, and then after a number of years working in early years, I then returned to education as an adult learner myself and did an, an access to HE course. So I only um, studied for a degree in my 20s. Um, my degree was in women's studies, actually, so kind of like a, a social science based, but um, with a gendered lens. Um, and then I trained to teach, but I trained to teach in further education. And that's what I've done since then. Um, you know, but that said, you know, I'm still with my role linked to all phases of education, really, because um, the, the department that I lead runs um, training for teaching assistants, early years workers, childminders, right through to primary, secondary and FE teacher training. So um, and then those in themselves are HE courses. So, you know, in a way, I'm sort of linked, still linked to all phases, really. So. You, you, so you, you, came, you basically um, went back into education as a, as a mature student in FE, did, and that, yeah. that's obviously helped helped you in your career. So, would you say that that experience, uh, that personal lived experience, has, has given you more of a, a passion for FE and, and and its transformational possibilities? Absolutely, and I know we bandy around that word transformation a lot, don't we? And it can start to to, to lack meaning, but it truly did. So. Um, when I um, stepped foot back into that further education college then, I'd never heard then of an access course. The only thing I was aware of was this sense of A-levels or something that I should have done and I didn't do because I'd taken a vocational route. And it was the tutor there that said, oh, have you heard you know, about an, an access course? And, um, and that one year, oh my goodness, if I could do it again, I would. It was absolutely brilliant. And really, I suppose that's why once I got the opportunity to get back involved with adult education, which would be around the year 2000, I think, um, then, then I did because I wanted other people to have that same, um, you know, mind opening, if you like, opportunities that I'd had that's all stemmed back to that year. Um, and so recently, actually, in, in my college, we, we've introduced access to HE. We used to do year zeros. Um, so similar space, but um, not the same in, in kind of, you know, what they do really. So um, it's been great to be able to actually go back to my own roots and put access to HE on our map again. Well, that's wonderful. And um, more recently in your career, you've become involved in, in um, promoting research and education and particularly the, the kind of practitioner-led uh, action research what was it initially that got you interested in? Action? Yeah, well, well, as I mentioned, we run HE courses and, you know, in the world of HE, we, we talk about scholarship. But if you're a tiny team, 
in a relatively small college, a scholarship community and scholarship endeavours are quite are quite tricky. But when I was looking at it, I was sort of thinking, well, but everybody's a scholar. All teachers are scholars, really. We just don't use the word. We just don't use the word. And it kind of started from there. And that's when I connected with um, Sam Jones, who founded FE Research Me, because that looked like a great model for me to bring together lots of strands of people um, as a kind of scholarship community. So it kind of started there. And we did start with a big bang. We started with, uh, before really launching anything internally in college, we started with a, an FE research meet, which brought lots of people to the college. We had about 80, 90 that first time. Um, and then on the back of that, launched our internal opportunities for research as a, as a strand of professional learning. We, we, we used to have um, twilight workshops really you know, kind of people being taught about, taught, you know, <laughs> using that word, but um, about whatever the agenda for the college was really. But um, I was very keen that people had the opportunity to be more self-directed, um, you know, and, and, and think about what, what really mattered to them. What were they really interested in? Not just rocking up to a workshop because that's directed time and that's what, you know, was expected, but to really buy into, oh, actually, I'm quite interested in this. I want to have a look at this. So that was three three years ago, and in the first year we, we we had a cohort, and it was a really exciting year that because we combined um, those action research about say 10, 12 people. Remember, we were a small college; there's only one hundred and twenty odd staff, so you know ten percent um, uh, got involved in the practitioner research group. We called it the research group, and actually the language matters, so we've changed it slightly. But they were really great year. We also mixed that with some learning and skills research network events. So, you know, it wasn't just in-house and some things have changed across college because of what those teachers did in, in terms of their research projects. Now, the, la the, 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 la the next two years, uh, we've been then interrupted, of course, <laughs> by an inconvenient global pandemic. How inconvenient. So that's really disrupted um, the ability to really, you know, build up that research community it's sort of existed but we're relaunching again what we've launched this academic year and we're relaunching in september is a model called be curious and what we did was we asked staff what is it you're interested in before they could see the menu of professional learning so that they weren't just picking the thing they were actually thinking first i'm interested in whatever maths maths pedagogy whatever um and then they could look at how they wanted to pursue that interest, whether it's through a coaching relationship, a workshop, research. We've introduced a journal club, a reading club, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I'm hoping we're going to have another stab at that again without interruption, hopefully, uh, uh, this, this September. So that takes you through really the last few years from where it started and where we're at now. So for, for people who haven't um, heard of FE Research Meet or not been to it, um, yeah. just give us a flavour. What, what, what type of event is it? Okay. Well, you know, first of all, how dare you if you haven't heard? <laughs> Where have you been? Um, so, yeah, so a bit like Teach Meets, but people coming or gathering together or attending have got some interest in teacher research or practice research or engaging with it if they're not leading it themselves. Um so yeah, that's what it is, much like a teach me. But th they've been real life events, but obviously they've been online for the last uh, couple of years, really popular. Um, you know, people share, literally share their little action research projects, supported experiments, or they might be on a doctoral programme, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It could be a small project to 
doctorate, PhD, and they talk about the things that they are investigating, learning about, you know, experimenting with in their practice. Um, and then usually there's usually workshops, you know, or gatherings, you know, people sort of hear from them, whoever's there, and then they decide who they want to go and, you know, hear more from and spend some time with, with that person. That's generally been the kind of model. But, you know, FE Research Meet, although there's a few of us pushing it, it's not owned in that sense. So people will look at the models and, and then run their own events that suit their own, you know, agenda. All, all that we ask is that it's democratic. Uh, you know, it's not... Try and avoid giving the space to um, academics who are predominantly in HE. You know, this is very much about by FE for FE. Of course, our university colleagues are very, very welcome, but we want it to be a, a co, you know, co-production, co-partnership, if, if, you know. Um, yeah, because we need to step up and, and fill that space. If you remember when um, Ofsted put out the uh, new framework for inspection, they, they accompanied it with um, a booklet about the research that had informed the framework. And they had that line that became famous, a paucity of research in FE. But of course, we know that's not necessarily true. It's just not that visible and it doesn't have the same infrastructure that um, the other research worlds have. Absolutely. And I guess that's also just reflective of the, of the, the reality that HE is, um, is funded uh, much more generously than FE and, and the priorities in FE have to um, yeah. reflect that, unfortunately. Yeah, but there's also the schools research network, remember? So schools do have, um, you know, there are research schools, there is an infrastructure there that exists um, and not all schools may be, not be active in that space, but it does exist. So you've got the school research networks and then you've got the world of HE. And then, and then there's that, you know, there's those uh, sort of potentially in the middle or crossing those boundaries quite often. Interesting. So there's definitely a lot of scope to emulate uh, more of what schools are doing in research then. Yeah, yeah, and, and certainly that's happening. So, um, you know, I don't know if you've had Sam on, Sam Jones as a guest yet, but um, she will share with you that, that there's a group of 10 of us as colleges launching the research, the, um, research college network. So, um, or the, I think we call the research college group, actually. <laughs> and we're working together on research projects, but it is trying to put that bit of infrastructure in um, and to stake a claim in that space really about it's not just about staff um, or teachers lecturers support staff um being part of that research world and make it making a contribution it's about all of that body of knowledge then informing the sector you know informing whether that's policy or informing what goes on in institutions so what we don't want to see is um, people engaging in research activity within an institution but then it's just that's just what they've done nice project off you go it's about that then being used to inform decision making within and beyond those institutions and that's what the research college group is, is driving at really interesting so in your um in your own setting at ashton sixth form college i understand that you you now actually have somebody on staff who uh, has get some remission um, to yeah. actually pr promote um, research in the college. So how has that been going? Yeah, Dan the man. Dan, well, Dan's been in place um, just for the year that, of course, we've, <laughs> we've hardly been there. 
So again, he's not really had a great year to get his teeth stuck into things, but so he, he, I suppose next year will be more exciting for him. But he has, he's worked with those practitioner researchers. Those, we don't tend to, in six forms, we tend to say teachers rather than practitioners, but teacher researchers, he's worked with them on their, you know, supporting them with their uh, projects. And he's been to events talking about practitioner research, but it's great really because it's all right me going on and on about it, but people kind of would expect me to, and you know, I'm on the senior leadership team and it, you know, there's, there's a disconnect there because I'm not in the classroom all that time. So it was really important to have somebody like Dan who has, who has engaged in research projects. He's got an interest in it and he's in the classroom all the time, you know, apart from his bit of remission. Um, so, you know, he, he's, he's, he's best placed, um, to go to bang on about it instead of me. <laughs> so um, I think it's going well. Um, but, you know, the coming September, this that will be his second year. And hopefully he will um, find his, be able to find his feet more. Yeah. So is it something that you'd recommend to other colleges and other settings to have somebody on, on staff, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, on the, on, the, on, the, on the teaching team, if you like? Yeah, well, the, well, where his role sits is in, so in colleges where you have like teaching and learning mentors or coaches that or advanced practitioners. So he's one of those types of roles. And, that, and, and so um, quite often they will have a kind of theme or remit, won't they? And his has become research. Uh, so in a way, it's easy to do if you've already got those teams is, is you know, who, who's going to champion um, that kind of space, if you like. So of course I'd advocate for it because it was what I introduced but you know um it, it, you know it's, it's no more costly than you having your advanced practitioners it's that that sort of thing really um but you know oh, oh, how can I not advocate for that that's <laughs> that's what I'm passionate about yeah, yeah. so so in your setting then the, the, the that role of promoting research kind of sits inside the quality improvement part of the college would you say Ooh, well yes it is it is yes it's not in the assurance sort of side of it it is really yeah it's and professional learning we keep using the term now professional learning not cpd not training but professional learning is trying to put that scholarship that academic back into the narrative with which we describe teachers and lecturers really so so the counterpoint to that is is do you think that a lot of our practice is guided by so-called you know zombie ideas like learning styles or Ofsted myths about having you not having your coat on in class um do, do you think that you know we're, we're dealing we're still dealing in a lot of myths and misconceptions when it comes to effective teaching uh there'll always be myths and misconceptions because whatever's a myth now wasn't necessarily at the point it was introduced, it was believed in, wasn't it? Um, oh, well, I mean, I think a lot of the stuff informing the teaching and learning messages that we're getting, yes, if you look at that research document that sits with the Ofsted framework, largely schools-driven and certainly is coming from a certain angle, isn't it? It's very cog sci heavy cognitive science heavy um but what well, well, you know 
we've both been in this game a long time. Things come in and out of popularity. You ride the waves. What's really good about the practitioner research space is you, you're encouraging um, colleagues to have a more critical eye, a, a critical consumption of this stuff that flies at us and not just to take it as fact, but to think, what, what do I need to know about? What do I need to think about? How does this apply to my students, my setting, my classroom? How am I in this? How am I working with this? Um, which I think is useful. Have we been encouraged to be critical consumers of such information? No, I don't, I don't think so. So, you know, some, some teachers, yeah, as you say, you know, have seen fashions, fads uh, come and go. And also, you know, been subjected to uh, all kinds of interesting, weird and wonderful, you know, CPD sessions over the years and may start to feel a little cynical about, you know, professional development. So for those people who, as I say, suffered through bad CPD and, um, you know, ill-informed practices, if you like, um, what would you say to them to, to, to get them to take a look at practitioner-led research and and then, you know, what benefits would you say it has for their professional practice? Yeah, well, you own it then, don't you? There's nothing to be cynical about because it's up to you. <laughs> you you pursue your area of interest um, and, and, and make it yours, really. Um, it's a hard, it is a hard sell in that we're not there in the sector in terms of having an abundance of time to fund for people to pursue this. But where there is the space, it's it's great. I found my own sense of self and belief in my career has really flourished um, since I've engaged in my own. So I'm on a I'm on my third master's type program now, actually. Uh, so you know, I, I think if you are really into, <laughs> you know, uh, think it either might be subject specialism or the whole business of teaching, learning and pedagogy, it's, it's a great, great thing. I think it rejuvenates your sense of professionalism and pride, um, you know, that that's not being done to, you know, you, you step forward. And not only do you lead your own development and, and look at an area you're really interested in, you then share it beyond, you know, you put it out there, you pay it back into the sector. And Ashton, you know, you're, you're, you're helping to train the new generation of educators as well. So are you doing anything to change the way that you deliver your programs to encourage more action research? Yeah, well, um, on the PGCA that we run, uh, there is an action research module anyway, so it kind of already sits there. But this year I'm holding on it rather than a colleague. Um, nothing wrong with, I mean, she did it brilliantly, but I just thought, oh, I'm going get, get, to stick my nose in here to shake it up a bit really and I think yeah um <clears throat> the kind of have, they have to sort of stick to the university guidelines on how they do it it's not quite the way I would do it but you know I'm trying to infuse them with it not just being a thing they perform for the sake of getting their PGCE but something beyond that so one of the things I've asked them they have to present you know their findings and data and all that and I've said to them I am not interested this is when we get back after Easter in a load of um, pie charts. And, uh, you know, I'm just not interested. I want to know the story. I want to know the story of what you set out to find, what the heck happened and what's going to happen now, you know, because that's at the heart of it, isn't it? Um, so uh, so that, that they've gone off and they're thinking more creatively now. Hopefully I won't have a load of PowerPoints. I'll have 
you know, proper stories of, you know, what really happened. That's interesting you mentioned that because um, in other conversations about people about action research, there's a fear. There's a fear of maths. You know, maths as a subject causes anxiety for lots of people. And then when people start to read research, they see tables and measures, and um, you know, a lot of the experience um, in the classroom, you know, can't e- easily be quantified. Yeah. Although that suits management, that does suit organisations like Ofsted. So, you know, how do you capture those experiences more qualitatively in research? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, those, those PGCs trainees, they're working with very small sets of data in that they are typically observing or recording about or interviewing very small groups. Um, but, you know, in their literature, they're making connections to bigger, bigger projects and research, meta studies, etc. Um, the, the risk here is that you start to devalue the small scale qualitative. And that's, you know, <laughs> there's a place for everything, isn't there? There's a place for everything. And if that small study, it's like one year, in the first year, actually, we had a chemistry teacher, um, not on the PGC, but you know, member staff who uh, did a little um, study and it was really focusing on why the girls were performing in a particular way versus the boys and as a complete side product of her action research or intervention she found out that actually what the uh, the female students needed or really uh, appreciated was a, a one-to-one conversation regularly and I don't know why that I just of course all students get one-to-one time but they just needed a bit more and um, it wasn't the intervention she was focusing on Right now, she found that out. Now, gosh, what if now her knowing that has made a significant difference to all the subsequent girls hitting the chemistry department? You know, so, um, all right, that's not going to change the world um, in the world of research, but my goodness, it might change the experience for any girls entering her chemistry classroom. So, you know, the, the risk is when you start to talk big study versus small that you start to devalue one and, and, and that's problematic for me. Yeah. That remind that, yeah, that reminds you of something I've read in the work of, uh, car and chemists They they talk about this idea of the, of emancipatory yeah. action research, which is actually in your own, in your own classroom, um, action research can have a really positive beneficial effect. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's mandatory for both parties as well, students and teacher. That's my, so at the moment, I'm on my second programme with Sunset. So Sunset is Sunderland Centre for Education and Teacher Trainings, who are funded by the ET, uh, Education Training Foundation um, to, you know, put lecturers and teachers through or support them in, in doing postgraduate study. So I did an MA short with them. I've already got an MA, but I did an MA short with them. And now I'm on the MPhil, which hopefully will become a PhD in year three, if I'm lucky. And I am, I've started, I mean, my, I'm very much around chemists because I'm looking at the practice architectures that chemists talks about uh, within which the professional learning operates and the action research operates at our place. And the bit I think is missing from his five, you know, architectures is 
all the stuff we're doing now, Sarge, all that, um, the slightly outside the organisation, all the grassroots um, stuff, you know, the brew heads, the research meets, the podcast, the Joy FE, the, you know, whatever, there's loads of them, teach meets, whatever. And the interplay between that and what chemists would call those architectures, I think that's really powerful. And that's all, I think, playing into um, the strengthening of the research in the sector. Fascinating, yeah. Um, for, for people who um, um, are thinking about getting into action research, but don't really know where to get started, you know, are there any particular texts or any particular websites that would be useful, you know, introduction for people, would you say? Yeah, and it, it, well, I mean, one of the things I always say to people in, all, in big organisations is to kind of put a call out to who else is engaged in natural research, because quite often we don't know, even in small organisations. So you might want to start to form your own little networks, and that's been happening a lot lately. People have just, you know, um, set up their own little research groups and, you know, to sort of talk and collaborate, just knowing and seeing each other. Um, of course, yeah, you can look for FE Research Meet on, on Twitter, Um but quite often, if you look at the FE research, just hashtag FE research, it is often on Twitter, sadly, sometimes on LinkedIn. Um, then you'll start to spot people and activity and sort of communities and constellations that are active in, in that space. And you can reach out to people and just do it. I mean, people message me and, and you know, and we get together and, and, and talk and share, share whatever. So I definitely say that. Uh, the Learning and Skills Research Network as well love to plug that because that's existed for over 21 years and not everybody's heard about it but that's a really vibrant uh, network there are conveners or reps you know um, all over the country and they run activity that is about pulling he and fe together actually so that's another thing to look for so at, at lsr network on uh, twitter um oh gosh books wise <laughs> that uh see i can't get chemists out of my head but um who's my favorite gary gary, gary. Oh, i can't remember his surname now i'd have to look him up uh, you'd have to edit edit it in you'll have to say it at the end because i can't can't remember not gary husband no not that gary although you know i'm sure yeah gary, well get okay so let's mention gary so gary husband as the associate research and post compulsory education of course him but it, I was specifically thinking about a book. I think he's called, he calls himself How To, I think, or something. Yeah, Gary Thomas. And he's at Gary How To. That's why it's difficult to remember because it's not by his name. And I love his, um, you know, beginner sort of guides to engaging with action research. It's really visual stuff and it's really sort of step-by-step -step easy. Interesting. So I think you, I think you must be one of the one of the hardest working people in education because you uh, seem to be involved in so many different activities uh, at the moment. So you've have all your work of being a principal. Um, assistant principal, you've just promoted principal. you there. Oh, thanks. I've promoted you, yeah. <laughs> You're assistant principal. You you help to organise FE research meets, um, but you also get involved in as you know in some in a lot of grassroots activities as as you mentioned. So one of the spin-offs, I think, of, of FE Research Meet is that you've actually started a, a podcast. So let's get meta. 
So yeah. on, on this podcast, let's talk about your podcast. And, yeah. and, and what was the rationale for starting that podcast? Yeah, okay. So myself and um, Alistair Smith, who is at Alistair Teaches on Twitter, um, we met on the Sunset Programme and then I invited him to come and talk at the FE research meet about his sunset research. He was at the same one as you, you came to. Um, but of course, when you're at a physical event, you can only go to so many workshops, can't you? Um, if you're in, and if you're leading one, then you, 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 you can't go anywhere else. So, um, and people are always excited about all these different things and they can't get to everything. So we just decided that another way of capturing all these great research activities or projects was to, to do a podcast. And I know everybody's podcasting now. Um, I suppose for Alistair, it was about that. It was about him getting to know all these great things that are going on. For me, it's a bit of an act of curation, really, um, collecting the stories um, as a kind of rebuff to the notion that it doesn't happen. So we're both in it for different reasons. So I love the fact that we are just keep collecting, collecting, collecting all these um, examples and stories, which some people then hook onto and they get in touch with that person and then something else happens, you know. Um, yeah, it's increasing the accessibility and hopefully the visibility in some way of teachers and lecturers in their classrooms engaging in some form of research activity. So for people who don't know much about... Um... Action Research, your podcast, would you say it's quite a, quite an accessible way into, into hearing more about people's experiences? Uh, it is, it is. You'll hear the stories of people who, who are doing something and we usually ask them, you know, how it got started or what their tips are for people or, you know, what they've been reading. And So there are that, those kind of um, practical things. Uh, you get to know names of people that you can then pursue you know and find out what they're up to and so on or you know I don't know that what their interests are other networks open up so we've we had uh, Vicky Butterby on but she also works with um you know a couple of independent sort of organizations and she runs things online for practitioners to get together it's like a web really so whether you find that web on Twitter or on another social media space, there's a bit of activity on Instagram now, um, or whether you find it by listening to podcasts, you know, you, you, you know, it, it yeah, it opens those doors. And you've also, um, after doing the podcast, you've also started doing a radio show now as well. So tell me, tell me a little bit more about your, uh, yeah. your career as a DJ. <laughs> well, there's no music. Um, so Paul Dix, who might be known to people because of his book, When the Adults Change, Everything Changes. I think he's got a second version out now, hasn't he? Um, or, or they might know him from Pivotal Education or from Twitter or from, um, or from YouTube. So he and a colleague set up a radio station and it operates at the weekend and it's called Teacher Hug Radio. There are a couple of radio stations around that are aimed at teachers so this is just one of them so the programs run on saturdays and sundays and there's a whole schedule but the the, the program that i'm involved in is podcast pick of the week just because that's what you know alistair and i are into but we don't just talk about education podcasts to be honest we, we do have people on who are typically from from a world of education or aligned to it that people might be interested in hearing from but then we talk about all sorts of stuff yeah, so we um, 
put that program our program goes out once every three weeks there's other people in the podcast picking team excellent and you've also um started doing something quite recently there the is it the writing room oh yeah the writing rooms yeah that's because um I avoid writing at all costs and I thought well if I'm going to write I better have some friends to do it with so I put a poll on Twitter to say if we're going to if we if I set up a kind of um, writing space digitally where we can gather who'd be interested I think there are about 120 votes on Twitter again a massive votes on LinkedIn so <laughs> everybody's suffering the same procrastination um and so and so they have started and I think there have been three or four that have run now so they will be regular and people arrive and share their intentions for that 90 minute session about where, what they're going to be writing about. And then they choose a breakout room to go into and they might be doing the Pomodoro technique, which is where you write in little chunks of time and have a break or, or another space. And then they come back after the 90 minutes and the, it sort of makes you accountable. You say what you've achieved. And so far people have said, oh my goodness, I wrote so much. So it's amazing, isn't it? But it, it how it's easy to not schedule time for writing and if you are on a program or you want to do blog writing or creative writing it's it's quite nice to do excellent and uh you have many 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 uh how do i put it many strings to your bow is that the correct right yeah correct terminology so are you a shepherdess or have i got completely the wrong end of the stick <laughs> i am i am a shepherdess yes i have a flock of sheep I have a flock of black Welsh mountain sheep who have all been having their lambs because we're in spring at the moment. So yeah, they've uh, so I've been and uh, I've been doing a bit of bottle feeding as well. Yeah, the lambs. So yeah. how much crossover is there between your classroom practice and and shepherding uh, sheep? Uh, no, no, great deal. But um, to be honest, I do use some of my sheep pictures in my action research. I just make tenuous <laughs> links to. The life of the sheep but they, they've been a kind of mindfulness practice for me particularly in lockdown so going out making sure I went out to see them once a day and feed them meant I was not at the screen for eight hours you know so they so they did they became they become like yeah a bit of a it was a, they became a screen break really and we're, we're still in the in the throes of the pandemic but looking looking back over the last last year or so um all the, the the networks that you're involved in and and the initiatives that you started um would you say that 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 connection has really has really helped you get through this uh, period of time oh undoubtedly yeah yeah undoubtedly um and it you know it's not just one area or one space of connection. So um, going Pitchforth and I had run a brewed, a brewed for FE really in, in, in real life. And then once we went into lockdown, we put out a YouTube, a month of YouTube um, things in the first month, not realizing of course everything would go on for so long, but um, so great connections through that. Um, I joined in something called Progress School with Mike Chitty. And of course uh, there's a Joy FE. Um, which is it's not just, it's not a group of people there's just loads of people um, that, that that can be part of joy FE activities whether that's just some magazine writing or um, running ideas rooms things like that um, yeah and then of course that you know working with Alice from the podcast all of that has be, all of that has held me up over the year really um, 
and I think that's been the same for lots of, you know, lots of people really. So in the last, one of the last big FE research meets we did online led by Kerry at Solly Hall, Kerry Scatterhook, good. One of the outcomes of that is we invited people to write about their lockdown teaching and learning or being a researcher in pandemic times kind of thing. That's due out soon. But the same, yeah, those themes are very much there um, in all those uh, pieces, you know, about what has held them together over the past year that comes through. Yeah. And I think another another initiative that, you, that you've uh, started and been involved with is this um, adult conversations. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which at first glance, um, people might not be sure what that involves. So, <laughs> so tell the folks listening. Um, yeah. what this is all about okay so deliberately tongue-in-cheek calling this movement hashtag adult conversations really just to get a bit of um like oh what's that uh, but really it's myself lou mycroft mel lanahan a, a sort of a lead in it but obviously again it's all about people's voices in the adult education sector and our our mission is to put adult and community learning or adult education back into the national conversation because when people say teacher or lecturer they generally always think 16 to 19 year olds even when a teacher or lecturer themselves teaches adults often when you have a conversation first and foremost in their identity is they're teaching with young people and there's a reason for that and a lot of it is well it's that's that's a big that's probably a big discussion but um you know we we don't shout proudly about adult learning opportunities in this country in the way that um, other countries do, really. Um, so that's our kind of mission, really, is to make visible what is hidden um, this year. So we've got people writing a week. There's a, it's called 52 Weeks of 52 Speaks. So um, somebody is writing something or putting out a contribution from the world of adult education every week. Um, and then we've got some converse, big conversations that are happening in the summer. And then we'll, you know, it'll all culminate in event at the end of the year. Um, you know, hopefully we will have achieved that, um, you know, making something a bit more visible. Excellent. And um, uh, finally, um, there might be people uh, listening who are really interested in action research, want to get involved or, you know, want to get it going in, in the places where they work. But there might be some resistance, whether it's from senior leadership or, or the culture uh, might need to change in, in an institution. So what would you say to them? And, and also, what would you say to uh, other senior leaders who um, aren't sure about action research or, what the, or don't see the value of it, you know? Hmm. Well, I mean, I, you know, that's difficult because I'm in a place where our principal is, you know, very open to it. I'd be interested to know what is informing decision making. What is it that people read? Where did they get their information from? It probably somewhere is research, even if it's not labelled. It might be called a report. Who's writing it? Um, if we are not I'm not saying that we, we can answer all the problems or deal with all the situations just on our own, but we should be part of that jigsaw. You know, we, you know, 
there's so much to be gained from it. Um, so if we're not, why not? What's what's the deal? That's what I'd be asking. Is is uh, you know, it, it seems incredible that we would not be. Um, but um, you know, people can't fight battles on their own in that way. So it is about making connections, probably outside of their institutions, to pursue those interests. If if it's not something that can be afforded in time within their own institutions. Absolutely, I think that's a that's a great message that actually there are you know ever increasing numbers of you know professional networks out there and they're accessible through things like social media mm. so you know get out there and, and, and start pestering people and if people want to pester you joe how, how do they find you on social media <laughs> yeah so i mean i am on linkedin joe fletcher saxon it's just my name um and then on twitter it's at j fletcher saxon um are probably the easiest places excellent well i know you're one of the the hardest working uh, people in education you you wouldn't say that but i, but I will and um i really appreciate the fact that you've uh, taken some time today to speak with me so thank you very much joe fletcher saxon thank you very much thanks again to joe for talking to me about how action research can benefit students as well as those who educate them. As Jo mentioned, you can find her on Twitter at jfletchersaxon. If you've enjoyed this episode of Universal Learning, subscribe now wherever you listen to podcasts. And do feel free to rate and review it too. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you can join me for the next edition of universal learning. Visit our website, universallearning.education to read transcripts of each edition and find out more about how you can put inclusion into practice for all of your learners. The music you've heard in this edition is Sonara by Blair Moon and sound effects are by New Age Soup both licensed under Creative Commons. Visit universallearning.education for more information.